You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we ski plog daily. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Just like this week, the White House is denouncing something that Kamala Harris said. Uh, I'm going to play that drop, or I'm not going to play it. I'm going to bring in my co-host, who's going to play it. Joining me this trip, cutting Dale's lawn for the final time. While identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, as he always does, William Green. Sean? No! No! Uh, that's, that's the wrong, the wrong drop! <laughs> Spoilers! Think about the impact on something like public health. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Man. Reduce our population, eh? It's fun. It's funny. The reason the wrong clip played is because we were actually doing show prep. That's what we get for doing show prep, Justin. <laughs> How dare we be prepared? Uh, no, it was already it was already cued, and so when I hit go, it it, it just went with that one. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna reduce the population, Justin. What do you think about that? I think maybe if Kamala Harris had been better prepared, things wouldn't <laughs> sound as bad as they were, uh... right? Because the White House is arguing here that she was reading from the teleprompter and it said reduce pollution and she said population by mistake. Now, here's the thing. Written down, that's understandable, right? The words pollution and population look similar. Yeah, they, they There's the same shape. Yeah. Same shape, same letters, similar order, right? However, pronunciation-wise, they sound different. And this seems like kind of a big mistake you don't want to ever make like you think you'd be like okay i'm never gonna say reduced population that sounds terrifying when you have a government uh official the vice president saying reduce population so people are upset about this they're saying you know the left is showing its true colors scott adams is comparing this to uh, there are fine people on both sides equivocation that people said trump made and saying that you know now the right is latching onto this illegitimately and, William, what do you think? I think there might be a, a grain of truth there. But, I mean, I know some of us, this is uh, getting into our favorite things, should you judge people. Uh, we know that this is the stated goal of a lot of environmentalists, right? That they see it uh, at, at, like, reducing population as a goal. Like, it was stated since the 60s and, and 70s, right? Um, right? Is it a Freudian slip? I don't know. We, we may never know. But I, you know what I do know is that Kamala Harris cannot read a teleprompter. And uh, and also, on the other side of it, isn't reducing pollution also reducing population? And what I mean by that is, in order for us to have more people, we must produce waste, which is pollution. Right? It's not the quantity of pollution that matters. It's how we handle and dispose of it that matters. Does that make sense? We don't want to reduce. Well, right. This is something I've always gotten my uh, my my uh, panties in a twist as a woman. 
is when people talk about reducing pollution, the goal should never be to reduce pollution, like just out of context, right? Because pollution is the byproduct of doing valuable work. We should be talking about how to mitigate the consequences of pollution, right? That's the more important thing. Yeah. And part of that might be and reducing it generally. Like there might be an argument of doing something more efficiently or, you know, using alternative process, but like all amount, all everything that is valuable, everything that lives produces waste. Everything that humans do that are valuable produces waste. That is what pollution is. Right. And I think what you're pointing to ultimately is the broader issue with all of these conversations is people talking sound bites and they talk in high level conclusions. They don't talk about the actual fundamental principles or the actual cause and effect relationships that matter here. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going on here. Well, it feels is, good, it, Justin, it, right? Like it's a, fe- yeah. it's a feeling space argument. It feels good to say we, we could just reduce pollution, just like it feels good to say punch a Nazi, right? Right. Like it feels good to say that, like, you know, it, it, you don't you don't have to bother to think about what free speech really means and that it's the most disgusting speech that needs to be protected, you know, the most vehemently. Right. And it feels good to say, oh, Kamala Harris said she wants to reduce population rather than think about, oh, well, maybe she did make a mistake and it's a bad mistake. Right. <laughs> and she should be laughed at and rowdily uh, right. condemned. Right. Right, because come on, you're the vice president. You can't make this mistake. Imagine, it, it, imagine, it, it, imagine like ordering something as uh, as vice president. Not that they have any powers, but you know, uh, don't forget to bomb the you know instead of test field. I don't know some town that begins with a T. I don't know. You know it, it's very important to get your words right when you're vice president, especially well, when your yeah, job it, is to speak. I got I got a better one for you. Right, they're like okay. Bomb the test field, and instead you say bomb Tiesto. We were like, why are we bombing DJ Tiesto? But then uh, suddenly wow. DJ Tiesto is assassinated by the government by accident. <laughs> oh, what a fantasy, Justin. Uh, you have some dark fantasies. <laughs> I was just riffing off of your joke. <laughs> so what's going on with you? What's the update? Oh, man. Well, the new store is doing really great. Thank you, everyone who uh, came in. A bunch of people uh, uh, are enjoying some good, delicious food, and I am packing. I'm all, like, in boxes, Justin. There's boxes everywhere in my house. Uh, I'm uh, going to move next week, and I will officially leave the cesspool of Los Angeles behind me. Uh, one less person, but eight more homeless people by the time I leave this week. That's what happens. Every time a, a, a rational person leaves, eight more homeless people replace Just, that person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the rule. That That's the rule. The because rule. you could have stayed and helped them. That's right. But because you haven't helped them, you've removed their infrastructure, so they become homeless because you left. And the funny part is, Justin, it's like you would say that maybe this is you know confirmation bias just because I'm moving, but I, I assure you it is not. Um, this... We used to have, uh, over the, what, six and a half years I've been in this house, there would be occasionally in the summertime, there would be fire along uh, various parts of the 405 because of homeless encampments, right? Um, and, you know, the brush would catch fire, and then the fire department would come and everything else. And this never happened here in Dale's Lawn. This is, this you know, happened either, you know, close to the city or farther out down south, now, like, near Long Beach, right? Well, here in Dale, Dale's Lawn, I kid you not, we have had, in the last two months, five fires along the 405, because the 405 is, like, right along here, maybe not half a mile from my house. Fire trucks in the middle of the night, during the day, five different times. 
So I think it's accelerating. Um, uh, the camp is is back now after the last fire. So I don't know how long they're going to be there until the next fire. But at this rate, Justin, there will just be continuous flames all along the 405 by the end of next summer, according to my projections. Well, right. And it definitely did get worse. I wouldn't say it's confirmation bias unless I'm suffering from the same confirmation bias, which I guess is possible. Maybe we've created an echo chamber. We've created our own echo chamber. Oh, God. Echo, echo, echo. But... Don't say that too loudly. My cat's going to start showing up here and start yelling. Um, But I do think it got worse over the decade I was in California. And I do think this is why we witnessed the farce, because uh, a lot of the things we we look for, we don't want to make the slippery slope fallacy. But a lot of it is like, if this continues... Well, we don't want to be the frog in the pan either, right? Right. And I think... uh, I think Frog in the Pan is a good way to look at it, especially the first story, right? Where we talk about the first bit of farce here with Frog Iger. Let's get into it in Life on the Midside. Guess who showed up during the uh, the bumper I did, there? I did say her name three times. <laughs> well, she's here now. She's <laughs> here now. It's like Beetlejuice. So, the, the podcast showed up. All right. Well, As it, always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Or if you just want to uh, pay for Echo's cat food, you could do that through Patreon or Locals as well. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals so the first bit of farce i alluded to william is i find this really funny and i don't know if it's just because i'm steeped in disney culture now but remember how for like a year and a half a year i don't know how long it was but all the disney fans and everyone talked about how evil chapek was and how he was destroying disney Mm -hmm. well now it seems that Iger is just as bad so I, I find this fascinating. I have a theory for you when we get into it. Okay. Well, I am interested in your theory because here's what the deal is. There is a quote circulating this week. Bob Iger spoke out against all of the strikes going on right now. So there's the writer's strike going on. There is the actor's strike going on. Uh, the quick actor's aside, strike just aside. started. With the, with the, with the writer's strike, haven't they been quiet quitting for a few years now? I mean, the, considering the quality of the writing that's been coming out of Disney, haven't they been quiet quitting for like at least three or four years now? Uh, I don't know if it's that or so much as the prevailing cultural winds. And this is sort of where this farce is going with this first first topic is the prevailing cultural winds have made it impossible to have good quality. I mean, that's one of my arguments about naturalism and social justice, right? That you can't have a good story. A good story is based upon making active decisions and the protagonist being able to affect change where naturalism is the opposite of that. It's everyone's a victim in the, the protagonist and every character is unable to actually affect change because either biological or environmental or cultural systems control the human race, control humans, 
where we are subject to them, we are not actors upon them. And that that's where a lot of prestige pictures, that's where a lot of Oscar bait comes from. And I think that makes writing bad when that's what you're going for. Now, has Disney been quiet quitting? I don't know. I Look, with Disney, I have a lot of hope right now. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for Wish. I think we've talked about it. It's set in Spain. Yeah, we talked about it on the show. Yeah. And it's the one where yeah. the girl is living in the society where all you need is a wish to come true. I right? see Which your is, wish I mean, and raise you once Snow White. Well, okay, yes. but that's that, spoilers. <laughs> There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. Or later I think, um, I think... I think when you have these giant corporations, one hand doesn't know what the other's doing. <laughs> and I, I think with something like Wish, right, and the whole idea is classic Disney, and then you have, like, the government of Spain coming in in the in the story, like the, this is more medieval, feudal, saying, oh, give your wish to me, and that's how it will come through, and it's like this evil person. Right? That seems to be pretty classic Disney, so I have hope there. But yes, there uh, there's stuff about Snow White. Let's back up a second, though. I think we need to give the Iger context first, right? Yeah. So he got extended two years, $54 million. Two years, $54 million. A lot of Jersey Mike's restaurants. (laughs) It's a lot of a lot, right? It's a lot of a lot. But that's, that's part of what I think needs to be discussed here. That's part of what needs to be discussed here. He got extended. Remember, he was supposed to be interim. He wasn't supposed to be. He was just supposed to be at the stopgap until they figured out how to replace Chapek. But he was so popular that they extended him. However, he spoke out. Now, here's the thing. He spoke out against the strike, and no one was giving any context to it. You know how we were just talking about the context to the Kamala Harris thing? Yeah. Yeah. No one was giving any context. I had to do like a deep dive to find the trend. Like it's literally no article said what the interview question was that prompted the comments. Mm-hmm. So I had to find the transcript of the interview on CNBC in order to find the question. Okay. So I'm going to read the question and then I'm going to read the response. So the question from the CNBC reporter was speaking of content, we're in the midst of a writer's strike, and very likely it would seem to have a actor's strike. By the way, the the, the question was a actor's strike. It should be an actor's strike. Or maybe that's a typo in the transcript. I don't know. How is that going to impact things, and what are your expectations here? There. Expectations there. So here's Iger's response. It's very disturbing to me. We've talked about disruptive forces on this business and all the challenges we're facing. The recovery from COVID, which is ongoing, it's not completely back. This is the worst time in the world to add to that disruption. I understand any labor organization's desire to work on behalf of its members to get the most compensation and be compensated fairly based on that value that they deliver. We managed as an industry to negotiate a very good deal with the Directors Guild that reflects the value that the directors contribute to this great business. We wanted to do the same thing with writers, and we'd like to do the same thing with the actors. There's a level of expectation that they have, and that is just not realistic. And they are adding to the set of challenges that this business is already facing that is, quite frankly, very disruptive. Now, William, from my perspective, he is pointing out the narcissism that exists that we continually point out post-COVID, where he's saying 
the world shut down. We need to recover from this. Then we can address these issues. But these people are only worried about addressing those issues. Is this, William, narcissism on behalf of the writers and actors? Or is it tone deafness on behalf of the super rich and they don't understand the suffering of everyone else? I say, why not both? The reason I say that is the nar- there's a narcissism here on Iger's side using the pandemic and ignoring its effects on the writers and actors, right? Yes. And now, I think he's right to point out the effect on uh, on Disney as a company because we know it's had a huge effect on Disney as, as a company and it's good to remind those other narcissists that. But yes. there's a there's a blatant narcissism here on Iger's side. And I have to jump in and say my theory real fast. I think the whole thing with Chapek was, uh, I think, a vast majority, probably 80% of the stuff that Chapek was blamed for were all Iger things. Uh, That's CEO a conspiracy a large... theory? I thought that was generally accepted. No, not in, not in Hollywood. <laughs> Not among the Disney fans, right? Chapek come yes. in and, and screwed everything up, right? But right. but it takes years to implement your own things as a CEO, especially right. of that large of a company. And he was handpicked by Iger. So Yes. Like there was not enough time to really implement any major changes, at least not any that would last. So there's a huge amount of narcissism here. Like what happened to uh Iger running for president, right? That was that was his thing that he was going to do, right? That was the rumor. That was why he supposedly left Disney. Um, so now he's back. He's going to get his big giant payday. And he's trying to undo some of his mistakes that he can see now. You know, Disney Disney Plus is uh, in Star Wars are both, you know, burning up money. Um, I, there's rumors now that uh, Kathleen Kennedy is uh, being investigated for... Uh, possible fraud involving um funding of different uh star wars projects at lucasfilm do we have a do we have a drop for being shocked when we're not actually shocked i feel like that would be the perfect time for that like when adam crowell does his shocking thing yeah that's yeah this is this this shocks you but i mean like but like the the rumors coming out of there are just crazy and uh and so now he's i guess this writer strike is just another thing. Like he had the perfect legacy. He wrote his memoir. He should be he should be curtains up, right? But he can't help himself. He has to jump back into this. If he had, can you imagine if he had left? Uh, right, like if he had left when he did and didn't come back, he would be considered like a, a very good Disney CEO. If he had left after the Avengers Endgame, he would have been considered the best Disney C- CEO, right? So yes. uh, I think his narcissism is going to end up uh, tarnishing his legacy that he so covets. And I think narcissism as general has made it so he and Disney have backed themselves into a corner and they have no real way of winning. And what I mean by that is his narcissism right now is what you're pointing out. He's only looking at it from the perspective of himself as a businessman And trying to keep the business going because that's the point they're at, right? Disney is at a point right now where it's like they need to look at the bottom line. Disney never had to look at that before. And that's what he played with before. Yeah. I mean, that's what he invited. The huge Hulu bill that is due 
at the what is it the end of this year or the middle of next year is staggering. It is it, they will they will have to sell parts of Disney in order to pay for this bill currently. Well, right, and, there, and there every are two movie that flops here. makes it worse. Right, there are two things here. One, what you're referring to is what I see as the repeat of the dot com bubble. Do you yeah. remember when everyone wanted a website? They thought they thought that was the future of business. Oh, if we just put up a, oh, right. If we if we just put up a website, we'll just make more money. Well, it was the same thing with streaming, except it was even more exaggerated because it costs more money. Everybody was like, "Oh, if we just make a streaming service, we'll make more money," and everyone threw money in that way. So that's it, part of it. It's like everyone forgets the business cycle. They looked at Netflix's profits from two years ago and said, "I want some of that." And forgetting that the whole way markets works is it brings margins to zero over time, right? When you have a truly free market, it will bring the margins to zero over time. So you have to be, you can't just be Netflix. You have to be more efficient and cost effective than Netflix or offer more value. Like look at Apple TV or, uh, you know, Apple TV is not a wildly successful streaming stream, uh, 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 streaming, uh, thing, but they're doing what they want to do. They're, they're playing in the prestige side of the market. Right. Well, and also they're offering it as a supplement to their other products, correct? Correct. I think if Disney had offered Disney Plus as a supplement to everything else, then it would have been better as a standalone thing to make money. Does that make sense? Yeah. As a way, oh, yeah. drive people to the parks, drive people to the theaters, rather than, oh, our primary source of income is Disney Plus. But that's not the only thing I'm talking about with Iger. The other thing is, is when he had the margin... He started to play with, because he's from Ithaca College, right? He started to play with the social justice crowd, getting yeah. us to where we are now. Not realizing that what he was inviting in works the opposite of what he wants from the business side of it. He housed a major contradiction, and it is now coming home to roost. Because people are complaining he's making $54 million when the writers are on strike, actors are on strike, right? Or they say the theme park employees aren't making a lot of money. So just a brief Google, William, shows there's 77,000 people who work at Disney World. Divide $54 million by 77,000. That's only about $700 per people, per person. Sorry, per person. Per I apologize. Per people. I'm as bad as Kamala Harris. Uh, I'm not reading off a teleprompter, though. Per population, per capita. No, 700 per, per person. So Over two years. Look. So it's really $350 right. a year. Oh, I just took the 54 as a flat fee. So yeah. it's really three, yeah, 350 a year. Correct. You're better at business than I am. I should just not doubt you. But you understand <laughs> the point I'm making. Yes, he's yeah. making a lot of money for one person, but ultimately his money would not make that much of a difference in the world. What's going to make more of a difference here, William, is keeping the Disney corporation profitable and keeping this machine going it was an important economic force in our culture and it was an important cultural force in the culture and both of those things are at risk right now yeah i think they're pretty much faded out at this point completely i i don't think i think uh uh i don't think that if you grabbed your average six-year-old they could name 10 Disney characters. That's probably true. That's probably true. If you had grabbed but, us mean, when we were six or seven years old, we could probably name 100 Disney characters. Right. And I, I agree with that. Uh, I think you're overprivileging the six-year-old, though, because I think 
you have to look at across an entire population, not just the youth. But yes, I think what you're but pointing I, out I, shows just that as a as a as a as a oil uh, oil stick uh, indicator yes, of the culture. Right? Correct. I agree with that, that if you look at that and they're not growing up on it, where's Disney going to be in 20, 30 years? That is a phenomenal point. If if you look at nostalgia investment, they will have none as soon as our our generation and possibly the one behind us is gone. There's going to be no nostalgia. The nostalgia is going to be for video games, right? Right. Well, I think it goes to what you're saying. Like you wanted to talk about the Snow White thing, yes or no? Yeah, a little bit. Just briefly. I think it's another example of media, uh, media, uh, interesting media machinations, maybe manufactured outrage, but in some ways, uh, uh also an indicator. So there's this, uh, photo that was supposedly leaked, uh, um, and it was from the, the, the I, I forgot the, was it the, the Daily Call? No, not the Daily Call. It was the Daily Mail. Um, yeah, British that, site. Yeah, British site. And uh, they said, this is from the set of Snow White, and you can, whatever parody you imagine of uh, woke Snow White, it is exactly that picture. Right, it's one, like, <laughs> one dwarf, and then a bunch of normal size kids, and different of races, all different races and genders. body types. <laughs> right. Uh, and so it was mocked and laughed at relentlessly. I'm, I'm it sure looked more like the, the, the crew from Hook than it did the Seven Dwarves. You know, it looked like a Babylon Bee article, but it was real life. Then Disney yeah. comes out and says it was fake. Then the uh, Daily Mail doubles down and says, no, this is really from the set. And then Disney changes her mind and says, actually, this were the extras or the stand-ins or whatever. The stand-ins? You know, yeah. Doing, you know, doing, you know, whatever to help the crew, you know, prepare for the actors to come out. But... All that but being said, stand-ins. Wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> stand-ins are supposed to be about the same size and shape of the actual actors. That's why they're a stand-in, and usually the same skin tones, right? For color matching and and yeah, for lighting and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh it's interesting that 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 back and forth happened. It would, but there's a deeper issue here. Like, there's two different d- different deeper issues. The first one is Justin. Why can't we just ask Disney to have you and I write the scripts for these live actions? Like, can you predict, without knowing any context other than what I've just given you, what plot elements they're going to change? What what characters they're going to change? Obviously, you already guessed the dwarves, but... Um, well, I mean, that's a little unfair. What theme unfair. elements are they going to change? Right, that's a little unfair because I'm too plugged into this. Okay, um, but, but, but just given but, that context, But it's, it's, right? it's obvious to know that, like, oh, she can't be a damsel in distress, right? Because the oh, whole no, thing she with can't Snow be White, seeking true love. This can't be a right. story about true love, right? And isn't the whole thing with Snow White, like, she eats the apple and then the prince has to kiss her to bring her back yep. to life, right? Yep. They, they're going to have to get rid of that completely. It's not even going to be Snow White if they get rid of that. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be demonstrating that, uh, you know, that gallant behavior should be rewarded with true love, right? Like yeah. that and and so it can't do that at all, right? <clears throat> unless well, unless, unless Snow to be White a, saves the prince, maybe. Right. She's supposed to be a true victim as well. And what I mean by that is she is supposed to purity. be a pure Snow yeah, exactly. White. She's, she's supposed to be purity, right? That right. violating purity is evil and that you know and that saving purity is rewarded. 
right? And that's literally what the apple represents because the apple is, you know, an a- apple a day keeps the, the, the doctor away, right? It's supposed to be healthy for you. And then to lace it with poison and give it to someone who's pure, it all represents the idea of poisoning what is good and nearly destroying it. And the only thing that can save what is good is pure, true love. Now, we could sit here and we could debate that philosophically, but at least that's a, a standpoint that promotes love and promotes Heroism love against well. evil. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, that's the first you know thing is that we could just write this and, and then get paid. the uh, What was it, $400 that supposedly one of the She-Hulk writers uh, that looks exactly how you imagine a transgender She-Hulk writer would look. Um, has claimed recently. Um, but I think the other issue is getting back to what Scott Adams was pointing out about this manufactured outrage. Like, this is something that is the, like, we used to say that Twitter and Facebook were really promoting this manufactured outrage, right? And the media has always, that's been their, their bread and butter. But I think we're getting, uh, we're seeing this get a little more frantic, I think, right? Um, the news cycles are getting shorter and shorter. There are uh, narratives that are sort of ossifying, if that makes any sense, right? They're just narratives that are just sort of getting stale. And I'm, I'm just wondering, like, like this is, you know, this is kind of a theme of the first couple stories we've talked about so far is this sort of these knee jerk emotionalist reactions to to things without context. Yeah, of course. Sometimes it works. Or works to our advantage. Did you see what happened to California this past week about a bill on child trafficking? Yeah, I did. So California, home of making it knowingly infecting someone with HIV, is now uh, legal. Uh, but now we're we're turning to the children, right? Right. So there was this article that said California Democrats revive a stalled bill on child trafficking after public pressure. So I'm going to read some of this. The bill by Republican State Senator Shannon Grove would add child trafficking to a list of serious felonies in California. Anyone convicted of at least three serious felonies faces a prison sentence of between 25 years to life in prison under the state's three strikes laws. The Democrats who control the Assembly Assembly Public Safety Committee decided not to advance the bill earlier this week. They opposed the bill in part because they oppose longer prison sentences, which they do not see as an effective deterrent of any crime. They also worried the bill would could inadvertently punish children trafficking victims with lengthy Princeton sentences. Now, William, here <laughs> a is a qu- <laughs> wait a minute. Are they saying that if you put that child traffickers become child children who get trafficked become child traffickers as adults, and so therefore we don't want to punish them? Like, what's the point of saying like it might put the children at risk, the victims? Well, at risk? that's. That's part of the the farce and the outrage cycle that you're talking about here, because the media is obscuring the quote. That's why I want to I found the quote from the opposition and I want to read that quote to show what it's actually saying. The three strikes model of sentencing is ineffective in preventing crime and protecting the public safety. This is a statement from uh, Joan Sawyer, who works on the Assembly Appropriations Committee. This was a written statement from his office. We will not build on a deeply flawed sentencing system that unfairly punishes disadvantaged communities. So really, William, what's going on here? 
Why are they uh, women, really opposing this law? Women and minorities will be hardest hit. Right. So this is a, a social justice objection to ending human trafficking, fighting child trafficking. Think about that for a moment. What is more important to them? Protecting children or protecting social justice minorities? Which is more important to them? As commander-in-chief, I was proud to have ended the ban on transgender Americans. I think the president said it best. To continue the article, the bill now must be vetted by the Assembly Appropriations Committee, where Jones Sawyer said he will ask for amendments to make sure victims of child trafficking are not penalized and that legislation doesn't disproportionately affect people of color. And he said, we shouldn't be playing politics. We should be coming together, together to move this forward so that everybody is safe. I'm going to make a commitment to do everything in my power to get it on the governor's desk so he could sign it. Even though earlier in the week, he and his supporters were the ones who shot the bill down. Isn't he the one who was playing politics with it? Yeah. So let me get this straight. They're going to put an exception in for one-armed, lesbian, veteran, half-black women? I, I I don't know, dude. I they don't know. They'll like, get four strikes instead. Right. It's it's what you said. It's what you said. What? How is this bill actually going to punish victims of the crime? Yeah, I don't know. The crime. I, I don't know. I'm, un, I'm I'm unclear on that point. I'm also, you know, I know that part of part of sentences is deterrence. But when you have crimes, certain crimes, I think Adam Carolla was pointing this out uh, a couple weeks ago on the podcast. There's a difference. There's a there's a difference between there's a difference between someone getting angry and killing someone versus someone like a serial killer or someone who just completely randomly kills a stranger. Right. There's a huge difference there. And I think it's the same when it comes to crimes like like this. Right. Child trafficking. You have left society so far that we can no longer trust you in society. Right. Right. There's a, there, and so I almost don't care about the deterrent effect because the deterrent, there, there is no such thing as a deterrent effect. If you choose to do certain crimes like this in our society, if you've grown up in our society and you choose to do those things, you're kind of gone. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, what, what you're speaking to is, what people philosophically believe the purpose of the justice system is. And Joan Sawyer seems to be saying the purpose is rehabilitation, not punishment or protection of other people. Whereas you're arguing that at the very least, the justice system should be about protecting the general population. Yes. Where if somebody murders someone, And we can argue whether the death penalty would be proper or not, but they should at least be removed from society so they cannot murder anyone else. And that's the same thing here. But he's arguing from the standpoint of, no, the purpose of law, the purpose of justice should be to rehabilitate people. So let's use the situation you posited. Somebody is trafficked as a child and they grow up and become a child trafficker themselves he would say well that person's a victim it's unfair to put them in jail because they need to be rehabilitated psychologically so they do not think what they are doing is correct and the only way of living we can teach them to be better whereas you would argue there's a certain point and correct me if i'm putting words in your mouth 
there's a certain point where they're so far gone that they cannot be rehabilitated and it is not the responsibility of the state and the public taxpayer to rehabilitate these people who are a danger to children now regardless of what they went through and we can have empathy for that yeah we can have sympathy for that but say they're too far gone serial killers are often i mean look at all the shows about serial killers aren't serial killers very often victims of abuse yeah and we can have sympathy for that but they're still too far gone Is that not your argument? Exactly. That is exactly my argument. Now, I'm not saying I'm sure just like we have uh, completely not objective laws around sexual assault, right? That that there's a similar situation here with child trafficking, right? I assume that. But all that being said, like what you've said is 100% correct, as we like to say. Right. And that's that's the farce of this story. Somebody who was playing politics, acting like he wasn't playing politics, because unless you agree with his philosophical outlook, it's politics. And that's the problem with the conversation right now nationally. That's why we have the problem with things like we talked about with Disney. And that's why we had the problem with things like this, because you can't have an actual conversation. Whereas, William, I was fascinated by something that came out of Korea this week. Oh, yeah. Did you see the story about the biker, the cyclist from Korea? Uh, it's uh, it's like Zuby. It's Korean Zuby, isn't it? It's very similar to Zuby, except I would say, and not to criticize Zuby because I'm a big fan of Zuby, but I think this person is more interested in making a point than uh, I think Zuby's building a brand and building yeah. a, a life for himself, which is fine, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but he's essentially... Zuby's trying to be an influencer, I think it is fair to say. Whereas this person is just trying to make a point. And if this person made this point in America, what would happen, William? Uh, Well, someone would punch them and call them a Nazi. That's for sure. Right. So I'm going to read from this article. Korea's first transgender athlete highlights need for, quote, third gender in sports. I'm not a big I'm not a big uh, fan of the the title. I don't think it quite says what's going on. However, uh, and I was going to have this be the final note for this story, but I just think the fact that look at that headline and look at the way this article was written. Doesn't this show a difference between media from other countries versus our media? I mean, yeah. they actually let this opinion be voiced and the conversation is being had. Yeah, That's a huge a thing, isn't it? I think it's huge. I think... You know, we, we used to have a lot much larger impact, or sorry, we used to get a lot more cultural influence from um, Japan and Korea. And I think, uh, I think it's another example of why looking at some, what would could be considered non-Western countries uh, can be very insightful. Their takes, their, their view on America is always an interesting perspective. Yeah. So to continue reading this article in June, Korea saw the historic appearance of the country's first transgender athlete. And I apologize for the pronunciation. Naha Rin. I think that's how you say it, but it's H.W.A. dash R.I.N. So I don't I'm not sure how to pronounce that. A 37 year old cyclist who competed and won medals at this year's Gangwon Sports Festival in eastern Gangwon province. After undergoing gender-affirming surgery in Seoul last year and having her birth certificate reissued in April. So I want to point out that I'm praising the publication, but at the same time, it's still using the language that frames uh, transgender surgery in a certain way. 
right? Gender affirming, where I, I would call it reality denying. Yeah. So there's still some issues there. Delusion Not officially, affirming. I like delusion affirming. Delusion affirming is good, yeah. That's probably better than reality denying. Na officially became recognized as a woman in Korea. The seventh digit of her resident registration number was changed to two, marking her official gender designation as female here. And remember, this is a Korean news. That's why it says here. Na was able to compete in the provincial competition because neither the Gangwon State Sports Council nor the Korean Sports and Olympic Committee have specific, uh, specific gender regulations for athletic, athlete qualification. And then she won and she said, I have no unresolved feelings over winning because that's no longer what I want. My goal was to stir controversy and get my story heard by competing. I am not honored. I am not proud of myself. I believe other transgender athletes would feel the same way. They may not want to admit it, but they're being selfish. There is no honor as an athlete in that. And William, I don't know if the word selfish is being translated here or not. But I think this is such an important point because when we talk about Korean, Japanese culture, Asian culture versus American culture, and we talk about the word selfish and the word narcissism and the word narcissist, I think that is what is being missed here and why this conversation can't be properly had. You, William, are always the one who points out cluster B personality disorder. Yes, I, I keep harping on Isn't, it. It's, it's, our, it's our cultural diagnosis right now. Isn't that what Na is talking about? That people who transition and then want to win anyway, you know, a man transitions into a woman and wants to win anyway. Is that not narcissism? They're yeah. calling it, I, I believe Na said selfish because Na comes from a collectivist culture. And in a collectivist culture, whenever you worry about yourself, it's selfish. I yeah. don't think they really distinguish between selfishness and narcissism. And I actually think that's the problem. I think our culture is becoming so collectivist that we're not distinguishing between selfishness and narcissism. And for individualism to win, I think we need to distinguish between the two of these. And isn't this a perfect example of why we need to distinguish between the two of these? Yeah, I, I think I think the only possible word, just to play devil's advocate, that it could be mistranslated, it may be more shame like shameful versus selfish, right? Um, I would wonder. I would wonder about the subtlety of the word being used in the language because I can imagine it being said in Japanese. And I know Japanese isn't Korean, but right, you know. Uh, but I could imagine that subtlety being there, that shameful. And then the the, the the translator is projecting selfishness being yeah. shameful. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then that would nah, be my only again. Nah, I don't speak Korean. I only speak Japanese. So, right. like, uh, I'm just comparing because of uh, the similar shame based culture. That it could be, right. they're, they're, even if it's not directly translated into shameful, that there has to be a connotation of, sh of shame just because right. that's what it would be culturally. But then even if it is the word shameful, right? But they're being shameful. Well, There's the opposite no of honor, honor right? Because it, it fits right. in context here, right? It's the right. opposite of honor. That's, that's fine. And I, I accept that. And let's, let's, let's posit that for a moment. Let's say it is, but they're being shameful. There is no honor as an athlete that. Well, philosophically, you still have to discuss what is worthy of shame. Exactly. Right? And the, and the discussion of the collectivist culture versus the individualist culture still applies. So we're still going to get down to selfish versus narcissist. It's just not mm -hmm. as explicit what they're saying being shameful. And Na may have said be, be shameful because Na may not be philosophically minded. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is I think this is uh, an interesting and I think correct perspective, right? 
Uh, yes. What is the honor? At what? Where is the self-esteem? I guess to put it into a more individualistic language, right? Um, where is the self-esteem you gain by competing with uh, folks that are just not even at your level, right? Right. Well, and that's the point is there's a lack of, there's a distinct lack of self-esteem and it's very second-handed needing to say you beat somebody and you need to feel good by your relationship to other people. That's exactly the problem yeah. with a lot of this. When we talk about, oh, we need other people to recognize what I feel internally. That's where a lot of this comes from. But then also, I think Nas continued part of the conversation here where she suggests, he suggests whatever pronoun you want to use. I don't, I don't care. Right. Uh, what the solution is. I think the proposed solution has problems. And I think that proves why this is so difficult. This is the proposed solution. It could be like how we have many weight divisions in some sports under the current binary system. Women athletes will be discouraged and their hard work might not be recognized due to the participation of transgender athletes that's true at the same time trans women athletes no matter how hard they worked will never be truly honored for their wins i mean should they be honor is the goal that all athletes aspire to attain but this is a situation where nobody will be honored i think that shouldn't happen which again that's great right we we agree with that premise right that nobody will be honored which is bad that's anti-human that's anti-life right but the problem i have here william is if we're having a category of just trans male to female athletes, we talk about now, right? Watch women's sports, right? Should the U.S. women's national team be paid as much as the men's national team? What about trans woman sports? Are there even enough athletes that you can even have competition that people would want to see? Or are at that point... In the same way that the NBA subsidizes, and when I say that, LeBron James, look into it, pays a lot of the salaries of the WNBA players. Are we then going to be subsidizing trans women sports as well? And then are we going to be subsidizing trans man sports as well? And how many categories are we going to create? Because across the United States and then across the world, how many trans woman athletes are there for that even to be a category in the Olympics, William? Well, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, but as the great Fauci once said, we've got to follow the science. I think we can use some science here, right? If there's not enough of a particular, like if we, if we plot the performance distribution of male and female athletes, like people have done this, like for elite athletes, and you could definitely see the trend. So it, I, think of it like a race car, right? Like your qualifying laps, right? What, what division are you in? Does that make sense? Like you could you could take biology yes. completely out of it and just say, okay, here's the here's you know we have data of past races. Here's the distribution, right? Where which tier do you fall in? Are you are you Formula One? Are you Formula Two? Are you uh, are you Indy Car? Are you are you NASCAR? Right? Like what 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 division are you in? And just do it that way. And I think there you can have honor, right? They do that in marathons already, right? Like you have people, you know, you start in different groups based on like your previous performance in other marathons, right? Yeah. And you you still compete honorably. So I think I think we can follow the science here, Justin. What do you think about my proposal? Uh, I think I haven't heard a better one yet. So 
that's 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 all I can say at this point. William, my degree I, from FU says you are a hundred percent correct. See, thanks, uh, Justin. I don't know about that because I'm a little more extreme, and I think maybe if you transition, <laughs> you shouldn't be able to compete. I think but, that is. I think that could also be coming out of the numbers, right? If you if 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 the effects of transition, uh, so it it could be the case that you transition in adulthood, and the effects take you out of the top performers in the male, but you're still so- solidly in the median, right? For male yeah. performance, current male performance. But if you transitioned early enough, you know, like those poor children being mutilated now by uh, by all the uh, uh, gender affirming care, maybe you maybe you fall squarely in the female um, performance category, right? You know, because your bones right. don't develop, and you know all the health problems lead you to not have as much practice and all that other stuff. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it could the numbers could work themselves out. Yeah. So, so if you don't have enough people, you would just not have that division, right? That middle division, which would not have enough people to be eligible. Yeah. But then, like, who wants to win the middle division, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm the middle that's champion. True. That's true. <laughs> I'm the middle earth champion. Wait, that's that's something different. Anyway. Okay. Talking about something different. Uh, the final thing I wanted to talk about here, William, is something that was submitted by Midsider Lucid in the discord right and i had never heard of this before it's something called uh skip lagging or as i said at the top of the show ski plagging right i when i first <laughs> when i first saw this headline teen detained at airport after using skip lagging scheme to save money um i thought it said ski plogging and i, <laughs> I thought it was like a klingon word or something i'm like what's ski plogging <laughs> kapla so apparently what this kid did is rather than take a direct flight to his final destination, he, um, oh no, hold on. I get very confused at this. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. A flight that was just from his starting point to his destination was more expensive than booking a flight that was a layover and then went on to another destination. So say you want to go to, so Charlotte's a major hub. Say you want to go to Charlotte. So if he booked from, let's say, Dallas to Charlotte, that was more expensive than Dallas to New York City with a layover in Charlotte. So he booked the flight with the layover and got off at the layover and then was detained at the airport. Have you, first of all, before we even go into this, William, the morality of this from both sides. Have you ever heard of this before? Yes. When airfare first started being um, put on the internet where you could purchase it and actually look up prices, people called this flight hacking. So I've never heard this term. I had to look up the term when you posted it in the show notes, but I was like, oh yeah, this is just flight hacking. I know people have been doing this. Uh, The airlines have tried to make various policies about it and then got sued in several countries for it. Um, and in some countries they can't really stop you other than maybe banning you from the airline if you do it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's fair hacking. Sometimes people will do where, uh, just to use your Charlotte to New York example, maybe, maybe the, maybe they would, maybe their destination is actually New York, but the flight from Charlotte to New York is super cheap on, you know, break your spirit airlines. So they'll flight hack Delta to New York. Uh, get stop in Charlotte, get on the Spirit airline, and then go there, right? So they they may end up actually going to New York and it being cheaper. 
but yeah, there were people, people been flight hacking this for a while. Now you put your, uh, your, uh, frequent flyer miles at risk. You could lose, you know, be banned from the airline. There's a, a lot of downsides now, but yeah, people used to do this, uh, back in the early days of the internet flight. See, that's interesting because I've heard of, you know, oh, you can get a direct flight or one with a layover, and usually the one with the layover is cheaper, so you have to decide whether you want to do the direct or the layover. I've heard of that before, but I've never heard of this before because it seems, it, to me, it seems counterintuitive. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like you, you pay for something and then you leave halfway. I've also never seen, I mean, I guess I've seen it because when you have layovers... Usually well, you it, stay happens, on the it happens because the airlines are trying to compete with each other. So maybe right. maybe um, Delta uh, and United both have flights to New York from Dallas, but uh, but Delta has a direct one and United um, only has a layover one. So they and the layover one has to go through Charlotte because that's their hub. We're just making this up, obviously. And so they end up having to cut the price of that one. That actually makes it cheaper than if you just flew direct into the hub. Because people often don't realize that sometimes those direct flights into the hub are more, way more expensive, right? Like, that's the whole point of this, is that those flights become very expensive. Like, if you just want to go to Atlanta and you're on Delta, sometimes that could be a very expensive flight because of how busy all the other routes are going through Atlanta. Yeah. And the, but that's my question. So that's the first part of the farce. You can look at the farce from the airline's perspective and from the passenger's perspective. So the first question I have for you is, is this something that airlines should be fighting? Like, what is the negative effect on airlines if somebody wants to do this? Because presumably, if I want to go to Charlotte and the flight goes all the way to New York City, but I just get off in Charlotte, presumably I've paid for the entire flight. Yes. So but here's what you haven't paid for. You haven't paid for the landing fees. So an airport will charge a plane based on how many passengers get off the plane at that site. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Because that's how they get get paid for their services, right? They're providing you baggage claim, even if you don't use it, right? Presumably, you know, uh, they're charging, they're prorating it for every passenger, baggage claim, security services, the guards, uh, you know, cleaning the So the the operating cost of a flight is not known until the flight lands. Correct. Well, it's right. it. No, it is known when the flight when the flight takes off because presumably all those passengers are getting off at their destination, right? Correct. But if you don't get so off you at your destination, it, yes. now now you're causing a problem. It's a it's a problem in the system, right? So if instead right. if instead you had to pay right now that that's being obscured for you from you right in your ticket price. But if if there was price transparency there, right, you could see that oh, getting off in Charlotte that costs the airline. Let's say it's $50. I don't know what it is because that's probably extremely proprietary information. But let's say it's $50 to get off at Charlotte, but uh, only $20. Or maybe it's maybe it's more specific. Maybe it's $100 in New York, but they're paying both, right? Because presumably you got off in New York, and then if you actually get off in Charlotte, when they see that you didn't get on the plane, they have to pay in Charlotte. Well, William, this goes into the second part, Right. Would this explain why the flight that's direct to New York is more expensive than, or would this explain why the flight that's direct to Charlotte be more expensive than the flight with the layover? Because when it's direct, you're paying the, what you just said, whatever the disembarkment fee or whatever you called it was. Whereas if it's a layover, they assume you're not getting off the plane and they're not charging the airline. So doesn't that explain it? 
Oh, it could, but it that but that gets back to the competition argument, right? The reason the fare is lower is they're they're competing with the some other airline, right? On the New York, well, but right, but that's the that is the second part of this from the passengers' perspective. Isn't this narcissistic? And what I mean by that is, isn't this looking for the short-term game, which is ultimately going to gain, which is ultimately going to undermine the entire system and make it more expensive and prohibitive for everyone and for yourself in the long run? Maybe. Yeah. I think that's, it's definitely not looking at your long-term interest, I think. Um, you know, it's, it, it's sort of dealing with the airline dishonestly, right? Correct. Um, and now... I think airlines also deal with us dishonestly, so maybe it's not uh, maybe it's not uh, symmetrical warfare here or asymmetrical warfare. But uh, yeah, I think I think you can definitely look at it that way because, like I said, there's a ton of consequences for doing this, and uh, it's not in your interest. I don't think it's in your interest to try and do this kind of hacking. I mean, well, I don't know. I, I, can I, recently, I can I point something out here? Yeah, uh, it's something I call poverty mentality. And what do I mean by it is as follows. Let me use an example. Now, I am not rich by any means, right? I'm a school teacher. I'm a coach. Oh, I see the Patreon. (laughs) Rolling in the the cat food money. We are rolling in the cat food money. I I will agree with that. So Echo Echo is a very wealthy cat. I will give you you that. Echo is well taken care of. She's privileged somehow. She she is still privileged in some way. Um, However, I am not, right? I don't make a lot of money. However, I'm not so destitute that I can't afford things. When I was in Europe, my bag ripped. At first, you know what I did? Duct tape. Uh, Duct tape. Yeah. I tried to duct tape it. And I went to different stores. I got different duct tapes. And then I started thinking it through. And I was like, well, if I duct tape this, I can duct tape this entire thing closed. But then if security opens it, they're not going to re-duct tape it. And I'm going to risk losing some of my stuff. And why am I going to take this risk? All because I'd rather pay five euros for duct tape than 50 euros for a cheap bag that'll get me home and then buy another bag later. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about poverty mentality. Is you're trying to save money so much that you're actually costing yourself money by lowering the quality of your life in the long run. And it's the same thing with things like this. You can fly Spirit Airlines, right? But you're going to cost don't. yourself more money in the long run. Right. You don't because, one, your comfort level is way down. And also, they're going to hit you with so many hidden fees. Spirit Airlines is predatory because it preys on people with poverty mentality. Oh, this is $100 less than you get on. Oh, you get to pay to select your seat. You get to pay to check a bag. Oh, they're going to be really you better pray precise you about you your carry-on. Right. All of these things. Poverty mentality. This, to me, this skip lagging is an example of poverty mentality, especially with, as you said, all of these terms and conditions that the airline has put in. You're just trying to save a buck. And also, right, it's part of this... And this sort of wraps back to the first story where we say, oh, Iger made 54. He's going to make 54 million in two years. What about all the people working for Disney? Yeah. Um, 
it's this combative nature we have nowadays with corporations. And what I mean by that is everybody thinks, and I don't want to say everybody, generally, especially on the internet, there's this idea that, oh, corporate culture is what's destroying America and what's oppressing everyone and making everyone's quality of life less. And that's why we need to get one over on the corporations. All right, William, do you have anything you want to add to anything we've talked about here in Life on the Midside? No. I think we have a banger segment. It's a banger segment. Let's head on to some MASH in. And then we're not going to actually talk about MASH, although on Pod Meets World, uh, Wilfredell loves to talk about MASH, and we are going to talk about Pod Meets World. So maybe that's where the MASH comes in in the hopeful romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Uh, you go in there, you can share some farce, as you heard. Midsider Lucid submar- uh, submitted our ski plogging segment here, our ski plogging farce. And then if you also go in there, you can look at the trailers. Midsider Edjo submitted some trailer reactions that I will be sharing with all of you when we get to trailer takedown here in a moment. So we'd love to hear from all of you some more in the Discord. Go to midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link. And then in there is the Discord join code. Look forward to hearing from you. All right, before we get into the review, I want to Continue with a, a promise segment. I told you that I'm listening to Pod Meets World. It's the podcast in which three stars of the show, Ryder Strong, Daniel Fischel, and Will Friedel, talk about the show. They watch it for the first time ever, and then they discuss each episode, and they analyze each episode. They share their experiences with it. And I've noticed that they come at it from a, a very particular perspective where they miss parts of the show. Or... They look at them through a lens that I don't think is legitimate. And what I mean by that is we're talking about missing. Remember, William, I talked about one other episode where they whole, they missed the whole individualistic side of things. Yeah. About the whole yeah. journey of Sean needing to value himself. Exactly. That was a huge thing to miss, wasn't it? Yeah, it was basically the theme. They missed the theme. The integrated Correct. element. Correct. I also think it's it's a problem when we have a prevailing culture that looks at certain issues in an incorrect way. And then we try to apply that backwards to art that existed in the past. And we don't understand the art properly because we're seeing it in a way that is not legitimate. And I think that happened in the season three premiere episode, my best friend's girl, where the three of them looked back at that episode. And I think they looked at, gender issues specifically they looked at Corey. they looked at masculine issues in an illegitimate way so what happened in this episode is Corey was really excited to ask topanga to be his girlfriend after summer they came back from summer and they both knew they liked each other in the previous season it had been established that topanga liked Corey, and 
Corey might have liked Topanga. Well, now he knows he likes her and he wants her wants to ask her to be his girlfriend. So they both like each other. And Sean warns him, well, you better ask her before somebody else does. Well, he ends up, Sean ends up asking Corey's, or asks up, sorry, ends up asking, too many vowels, ends up asking Topanga to the movies. Well, Corey's mad, so he asks Topanga's best friend, Trini, played by Brittany Murphy, to the movies. Then we get to the end of the episode, and Corey's very mad because of everything that happened. And we find out that the whole thing was a ruse by Sean and Topanga's best friend to get Corey to finally ask Topanga out, and so they can finally be together. So what I want to do is, William, I want to play the scene where Corey and Topanga finally get together, and then comment on it a little bit, and then I want to play the reaction to it, a couple reactions to it from the episode of Girl Meets World, and or sorry, Pod Meets World, and respond to that. Sound good? Let's do it. Okay, so let's start with the scene from Boy Meets World. Sean, I'll be right there. What are you looking at me for? Corey Matthews, what is your problem? You. What did I do? Topanga, you only went out with my best friend. Well, you didn't ask me. Besides, you came to the make-out movies with my best friend, too. Yeah, but only to make you think... I mean, I was just... Corey, would you just talk to me? I can't. Don't you think I want to? I mean, in my head, this is so easy. I've said it all summer long, a million times. Said what? I can't say it now, here, with all these (laughs) empty chairs around. Corey, it's just you and me. We've known each other our whole lives. We've always been able to talk. That's what's making this so hard now. It doesn't have to be. Look, Topanga, if I had to dream up the perfect woman, she wouldn't even come close to you. Would you be my girlfriend? Yes or no? (laughs) Okay, so before we even, like, delve into anything, obviously there are some little things we can tweak about the writing, but, William, I think the writing is so good here because even without the visuals, you can know the story and know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this uh, with the last segment we broke down. It It's... That's one of the ways that you know it's good writing. You know, television television tends to focus a lot on the dialogue and getting the dialogue right. And so I think breaking it down just by listening to it gives us it gives us such an insight into the writing. Yeah. And I mean, just the way this culminates with the music at the end, you can even though you don't see them kiss, you know, they're kissing and, you know, it's just such a sweet moment. So what yeah. I want to ask you is, what is your reaction to this before i give my reaction to this scene what's your reaction to this scene like what do you think is going on like what's the conflict here Hmm, i guess the conflict is uh the conflict is 
risking something with someone you have a deep relationship with already, right? Like, I think that's part of it. I don't know enough of the show. Uh, it's been a long time since I've watched Boy Meets World. But sort of the the maturing of the relationship going to another level and actually saying your values, right, to someone right. that knows you Which- so well. It's it's hard to say your values if you're having trouble with your self esteem, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the fear of rejection is there, and so you're doing two things at once. You're you're stating your values and also risking rejection at the same time, right? And if you don't have a healthy self esteem developed, well, the reaction, or the reaction, the rejection, the potential rejection means more to you than. Uh, stating your values, whereas what should mean more to you is stating your values. Exactly. And I think yeah. that that's what Corey is grappling with here. He feels rejected, and he realizes, I think it's great when he stops and realizes he made her feel rejected as well, right? which is what he was trying to do, and he realizes he messed up by trying to make her feel rejected back, right? because he was like, wait, I made her feel the same negative feeling I am, I- I'm feeling, right? But I think that's why he's angry, right? I think that's why he's angry. He's angry with himself as much as anything. And to be fair, in the clip we're about to play, you'll see that Will Friedle notices that briefly. He mentions it briefly. But they approach this in a much different way about Corey's anger, which I think misses the point and misses the sweetness of this scene and the sweetness of this beginning of the relationship. So let's go ahead and play the drop where Danielle Fischel... Uh, recaps and then play the there'll be a stop and then after the stop there'll be a jump forward in the conversation where they continue based upon what they were saying and then sean and topanga are about to exit too but topanga tells sean she'll be there in a second she goes back to talk to Corey. she asks what his problem is and Corey says topanga is his problem because she went out with his best friend and now all of a sudden in my opinion Corey gets very unlikable he's so like angry at her yeah. Because of the situation. Self-righteous. Self- well, he has been in love with her for almost 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves her, man. He's, he's declared. He's, he's declared, declared that for, that for at least 20 minutes, he has been exactly. insistent that they were going to be together. Exactly. And Topanga says, you didn't ask me. And besides, you also came to make to the make out movies with my best friend. But, but, but Topanga... See, there's a problem here because he did ask you. Why is Corey acting like why can't they have a conversation? I don't. By the way, I get nervous and I'm so nervous. But then when he finally is faced with this, I sure would have loved for him to have actually been vulnerable. And to and yeah. to see, I'm scared it. to talk to you. I'm yeah. scared. He's I don't to be angry know. with himself, but it doesn't come off that way. It just comes off as being angry. Yeah, well, it's yeah. Just a it, 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 like I mean, I was making the joke that he. It feels like he deserves Topanga, right? Like it feels like he's owed Topanga for some reason, right. which is a very weird thing. It's like no, dude. Yeah. Like yeah. there's yeah. no that reason that she is not obliged to you at, uh, for anything. Like, and in all the episodes leading up to this where there has been information about who likes who, it has only been that Topanga is saying she likes Corey. And yes. you imply that co- you you understand that Corey kind of likes her. Be- so, William, for, first yeah. thing, earlier in the episode, like mm-hmm. I said, it establishes that Corey likes Topanga. And he yeah. asks her out after Sean asks her out. No, he didn't ask her to be his girlfriend like he did at the end of the episode. So there's yeah. growth, which I think is intentional on the writer's part. But he did 
admit to liking her and he did ask her out. So it's not like he put in no effort. That's not what I have a problem with here. What I have a problem with here is this idea of what Ryder Strong is saying that, oh, Corey thinks he deserves. Yeah, this is like this is like projecting backwards in time incel culture. Yes. What the fuck? Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about with incels, right? Like, look. There's major problems with incels. The major problem with incels is the collectivism. It's women are all the same way and men are all the same way. And there's one mode of attraction and one thing people are attracted to and seeing it in this collectivized nature. But the other problem with incel culture is the lack of self-esteem. Because here's the thing. When you like someone, isn't it because you believe you deserve them? Yeah. And then if they treat you like you don't deserve them. I was exactly going to say that. I was like, that's not the problem. The problem is like it, it. the the difference there is saying like I've earned this right I've paid for this by building up my character is different than saying you owe me you should be my girlfriend right that's right it's a whole different thing it's like like the it's O versus earn if I can make that subtle distinction does that make sense right. Justin I'm trying to make a point right. here and I'm not sure I'm getting it no you're making that point but I'm gonna go I'm gonna jump forward to something else too that's being dropped context wise here as well because. I think there's something that's combined with what you're saying that favors women and harms men. And what I mean is the following. You are 100% correct, William, if you want to play that drop. William, my degree from FU says you are 100% correct about earning, right? It's the idea that I earned a chance with you. I earned you. I'm worthy of you. Now, you can decide if you want me or not, but that's a healthy thing, right? Yeah. Here's the problem. Here's where the problem comes in, is when we're not allowed to slut shame anymore. Now, I'm not saying Topanga was being a slut in this episode because obviously she didn't do anything with Sean except go to the movies. However, however, if Topanga liked Sean, sorry, scratch that, reverse it. And that delivery was better than something you heard you'll hear later on. William, uh-huh. uh, um, if if Topanga liked Corey, what business did she have saying yes to Sean? Isn't the person with real self esteem going to say no, Sean? I like Corey. I don't think it's appropriate that we go out. Or no, Sean, I like Corey, so I'm not going to go out with anyone else. Now the argument that's made is well, she's not committed to Corey or anything. But no, who is she committed to? William herself is Topanga not obligated to herself to act in line with her values. Yeah. And this yeah. is the problem that and, incels rightly nothing, point out. Yeah. And, and, and if anything, I'm assuming again, it's been years since I've seen Boy Meets World, um, that there's no indication that she also likes, uh, Sean in any romantic sense. Right. No, they just point out that like he puts his arm around her during the movie and she like, settles into it right it's it's behavior that i would consider inappropriate and it's behavior that when you're young right you make these mistakes when you're young and yeah, you get you mad at each better. other yeah, right yeah so topega didn't know any better Corey didn't matter that's why they get mad but that's why they resolve it with that's why the conversation at the end is so powerful because they are able to resolve it and become a model relationship for everyone watching yeah but when they're the hosts here are undermining it because They're playing into this overly feminist culture, right? Where we're beyond feminism. We're beyond equality now where a woman can do whatever she wants and a man is not allowed to judge her because of it. 
Now, I don't agree with incel culture that, you know, women are all terrible and they should be punished for these things. But I think it would have been well within Corey's rights and self-esteem to say, you know what? I'm not going to go to the movies with Trini, your best friend, but also I'm not interested in you anymore. And I think that might have been an interesting conflict to go for a while if they wanted to drag it out rather than have them be in an episode together or be immediately in a relationship together in the first episode. Because why is Corey getting mad because the girl who supposedly likes him goes out with his best friend, him acting like he's owed her? If she said she liked him, doesn't she owe it to herself? Isn't she yeah. obligated to herself to live in line with her values? And isn't Corey supposed and to give, and, take and, her and word? Just, yeah, just to jump in on it to take the feminist perspective, a rational feminist here, uh, would be that would also show her growth, right? Yes. If you gave another episode to, or, you know, part of an episode, the next episode to flesh out that conflict and watch her grow there and say, like, I shouldn't have done this, right? Like, I understand now, like it was a mistake. Um, That would have showed growth on both sides, I think. But I, right. I, I don't think it takes, a, I think that not being there doesn't take away from anything in, in, in this, in this no. scene. But, no, uh, I'm just saying if you wanted to write it with a yeah. more modern perspective. Yeah. And what I'm saying is they're taking away from it because they're 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 doing this modern thing where the woman is not morally responsible for the way she treats herself and the man. And the man is just supposed to accept it. And I do think that that's often, you know, you say incel, quote unquote. I think that's often what incels are complaining about, that women can treat them however they want. And that's part of why they get collectivized and say all women are the same and blah, blah, blah. Because oh, yeah. when we have modern things like, feminists, oh, uh, a hot take that we will have to immediately disavow is modern feminists and incels see women and men exactly the same way. Correct. 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 And that's the problem when we're looking at this is Corey is righteously angry. He's angry at himself, but he's also angry because he's trying to take a risk and this is ultimately what it comes down to. He's trying to take a risk and ask Topanga to be his girlfriend, which to everybody seems like it's not a hard risk because you both said you like each other. But she made it infinitely harder by going to the movies with his best friend. Yeah. Which he's already nervous about it. And then she goes to the movies with his best friend. Well, why is he going to ask you now? He feels hurt. He feels betrayed. And yeah, you're not in a committed relationship, but... Words, thoughts, feelings, ideas, values, those are commitments on some level. Just because and, you haven't and verbalized your it. don't match your ideals, right? In right. this case, her actions don't match her ideals. As well. Right. And at some point, it's more than just a contract. At some point, it's more than just, hey, you know, we said these words. At some point, the agreement is based on what you said your ideas and your values. And I think that's what's being missed here. What do you think? Do you agree? Yeah, I think that's a fair fair analysis. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Like you said, it, it is fascinating how they miss this, right? Because they lived through they lived through this time as well. I mean, maybe they were younger than us. Are they younger than no, us? No, older. older than us. They were yeah. older. But like they lived through the same culture that we did. So uh, that's one thing that usually usually people are biased more towards their past culture, right? Than the culture that they live in now, right? But maybe maybe Hollywood was further ahead at the time, you know, uh, on this, you know, feminist, like, 
train. But uh, well, and something I've always said is the reason I know that is because I mean I was in Massachusetts and I went to Ithaca College. Like they were further ahead on all of this stuff, yeah. which is why I understand it so much. Yeah, it's just interesting that they're that they're unable to put themselves back into what it would have been like if they were that age, right? Yeah. And, you know, part of this always comes down to, you know, collectivism and all the ways, although always comes back to altruism. And I say that because the movie I want to review very quickly is elemental. And the reason I want to review it very quickly is just because, uh, we spent a lot of time in this episode, so I don't want to bog down everything with a long review. But mm-hmm. I gave Elemental a solid middle-of-the-road bro rating. And it's because, very specifically, I thought there was too much in this movie, and it obscured its own point because it had to ultimately have altruism in there. This is what I said. Here's my one-sentence review. Elemental reaches towards something big and important, but undermined its big moments with its underdeveloped conceit. So, William, ultimately Elemental is in a metaphor for immigration. It's Elemental City. What? I said wonderful. Well, here's the thing. Remember when Crazy Rich Asians came out and I was like, I don't want to see this movie. And then it was actually a wonderful story about the... Asian American immigrant uh, experience mm-hmm. and finding yeah. her identity as an American Asian versus a traditional Asian when she went back to Singapore, right? There are stories that can be told here. And I yeah. actually think the story they tell about the immigration part of it is wonderful. So what happens is uh, there's this element city where the four elements, wind, water, fire, and earth there's no heart, I'm sorry, Mati, are living in a city together. Except here's where they start fucking things up, okay? The movie follows uh, these two parents, Bernie and Cinder, who leave the Fireland. They leave the Fireland, and they go and they set up a, a new, like, a restaurant on the outskirts of Element City. And the reason they do that is Element City is not made for fire people and fire people are not treated well in element city. So we see the argument for, or the the conceit here, right? There's actually one point where, uh, Ember, the main character is hanging out with Wade and Wade's family. She meets Wade's family for the first time. And Wade's family is like, Oh, you speak very well. You, You speak very clearly. And she's like, for someone who grew up here. Right. And it's obviously that's a, where they talk about immigrants from other countries being able to speak well, or, you know, that's one of the things that's racistly said against black people. Supposedly, if you say a black person speaks well, you're being racist against them. Even though, as the discussion I had with my wife after, William, aren't there people of all races who do not speak well? Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like, I mean, anytime I, you should any- meet some of my cousins from the mountains in, uh, in, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I, I feel like anyone who like, it's positive racism against white people, but anyone who assumes all white people speak well, like you haven't met most white people. But um, anyway, so Have you, you kind of see, Virginia? right? You kind of see the underdeveloped conceit here because this is how it starts. There's a giant storm in Fireland, and Bernie and Cinder's house is destroyed. So they decide they have to go to Element City to have the best life possible. Hey, guess what? 
Nobody else leaves Fireland. There's literally a scene where they're the only two leaving Fireland. Huh. Why? Yeah. Now, they could have written this better and have it be like, oh, wow, you know, we want to go. This is an opportunity. We could rebuild and you could all help us. But we think now is the time if we're going to go, we're going to make this jump. They could have written that in there very easily. But they didn't. They didn't. They just left it as that. So then what becomes... that's for political reasons? uh, I think it's because I don't think that they developed this well enough because they're stuck in the altruistic mode. And let me explain it to you why. So we have this whole relationship develop between Wade, who's a water person, and Ember, who's a fire person. And Ember has been raised to take over her, her dad's store. But Wade soon learns she doesn't want to do that. And in one of the best scenes in the movie, he's like, I know you don't want to do that. What about you? What do you want to do? So he's like teaching her American culture. And it's wonderful. But she's afraid because she says that everything my dad done is a, has done is a huge sacrifice. And the only way to repay, pay that sacrifice is with a sacrifice just as big. Mm-hmm. Which is, by the way, incorrect and completely altruistic. Because at the end of the movie where she finally does own up to it, she says to him, like, I don't want to run the store, but it's your dream. And he says the dream was never the store. The dream is you, which is what a good parent does, right? Like, that's your value. That's part of your dream of your life. So that part was excellent. Here's the bad part. Are you ready? I'm ready. Water is leaking. Right. This whole thing's a spoiler. There's water leaking into Firetown. Right, the pipes are all bursting. They had shut the water off to Firetown, but the levee broke. I'm being serious. Is this, are we, is this a New Orleans reference too? Jesus, I don't know. It's but there's there's a wall and it breaks and the water from the harbor comes in and it goes to Firetown. And one of the things that Bernie was trying to protect her, fa- Ember's father was trying to protect, is the blue flame. That's what represents their religion. And it's in the middle of the store. And the store's being flooded. So she runs in. And she stops it. And then Wade runs in to help her. But they get trapped in a room. And when they get trapped in a room together, Wade starts evaporating. And there's no escape. So Wade evaporates. But as he evaporates, he protects the blue flame. So when the room is eventually opened up, Ember is alive and the blue flame flame is alive, but Wade died, presumably. Now, I say presumably because it's a Pixar movie and he ends up coming back and they find a way to get him to come back. But the point is, the ultimate sacrifice that repaid the other sacrifice was what? The citizen of Element City sacrificing to preserve the culture of the immigrants in order for them to keep going. So do you see the problem here? There are two yeah. stories. Yeah. There's a the relationship between the father and the daughter and the relationship between the daughter and the immigrant culture represented by her father and then there's the relationship between the city and the daughter and the that that's encapsulated in the love story. And what enables the daughter to live her American individualistic life is Wade and the American culture sacrificing for her. Do you see that? Yeah. Crazy. 
So it's a mixed message movie. And half of it's great. And the animation's great. And the performances are great. And there's some really powerful moments. Like there's a parallel between when Bernie leaves Fireland and Ember leaves to go off on her internship, which is powerful. And that should have been it. But that scene's undermined because that came right after the scene of Wade's sacrifice. So there's a lot of good stuff here. But there's also a lot of, I don't want to say problematic stuff. It's just, as I said, it's underdeveloped. They underdeveloped this whole idea of the way the city works. Because it was all just, how do we make the fire culture be the victim? And how do we make the general culture sacrifice for the fire culture? Okay, those are, that's a movie that came out. Now we're going to talk about some movies that are going to come out. I always post the trailers that we talk about. In the Discord, usually the Saturday or the Friday before we record. That's so you can, you know, talk about them in the Discord if you want, like Ed Joe. Or, you know, watch all the trailers, then we talk about them. Or alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Problemista is A24's movie about... Uh, the U.S. Latino experience, I guess, as one quote that Mid-Center Ed Joe pointed out, that there's a review in a blurb that says the best movie about the U.S. Latino experience. Uh, he said that's his biggest problem with the trailer, and that's why he's tackling it. I mean, I wouldn't say that's my biggest problem. I mean, it's fine to tell us a, a movie about the U.S. Latino experience. However, it's, and I'm going to use their own word against them, it's problematic when you use that use naturalism to tell that story as if naturalism is the only way to tell that story. I mean, William, there's one thing in this trailer that very much confuses me where his bank account is minus $407. I don't understand how you ever get to that point in your life. (laughs) I was so confused at first that I thought it was just $407. Like I didn't notice the minus at first. I was like, wait, why is he arguing for less money? Like, I literally had to go through that in my head. Yeah. So apparently he overdrafted by $400, which I don't even know how any bank lets you do that, which is, that's a major thing people talk about nowadays, overdrafting. And now people are trying to get rid of, banks are marketing like, oh, with us, there are no overdraft penalties and things like that. So I I don't know. This just looks like, it just like, looks like naturalistic, um, it just looks like naturalistic virtue signaling. It just looks like a typical A24 is because so just as in Marvel hit their formula and then went downhill, A24 hit their formula, which we found disgusting to begin with, or I did. And now they're just going downhill with their own formula. Tackle. Ugh, tackle. Yeah, this this just looks so formulaic and boring. I mean, what more can I say about A24? Tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. Dogman is directed by Luke Benson, who's known for The Fifth Element and that Lucy movie with um, Scarlett Johansson and the the recent Valeria one, right? Remember the sci-fi one that did really, really poorly and was kind of a mess? Um, This is uh, Midsetter Ed Joe's review. In another time and place, I could see a drag queen vigilante being an interesting premise full of moral dilemmas. This probably will just be a masturbatory fantasy about killing people who don't use your preferred pronouns. Uh, I'm I'm glad he was able to glean that from what was going on. Uh, I saw a kid being abused who liked dogs, 
And then he became an adult who preferred dogs to humans, which we see a lot nowadays. People are like, I like dogs better than humans. They actually love you. Yes. So you're, you're never, I don't even want to go into that. It's so stupid. And, um, this, this main character even says that, oh, um, the only mistakes dog makes are loving humans, right? Which is self-hating. I mean, this looks like Luke Benson's trying to do an A24 movie, honestly. Uh, then I saw the part about, you know, the drag he's talking about, which isn't very surprising because we had, uh, Chris Tucker play, uh, Ruby in the fifth element. So it's not that surprised that, that Luke Besson is, is doing that kind of character. I didn't get the vigilante part from this. Maybe I missed something, but even without that, there's just, there's nothing interesting here. Tackle. Tackle. Confused is the best adjective for this trailer. I was just confused. And like something tells me it's going to not go in a fun direction, but a really gross direction. So I think I've, I, I think I'm just going to pass on this one. Tackle. Third trailer. Napoleon is directed by Ridley Scott and stars Joaquin Phoenix. And honestly, William, that in, in itself is enough to hug it. That's yeah, Ridley Scott doesn't do naturalism, really. Joaquin Phoenix in the right roles is tremendous. Now, what is this role? This role is an Apple TV prestige piece about the famous... French general Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, this looks like a uh, historical biodrama. Uh, this looks like it could be very, very high quality. So, uh, Midsider Edjo said Joaquin Phoenix actually became French for this role. I don't know what that means, uh, but for me, I think this is worthy of a hug. Hug. Yeah, I think this is uh, an attempt to bring back the historic biodrama, right? Like, uh, we'll see. I think there's certainly a, a rags to riches sort of story, right, with Napoleon. And then there's a lot of political intrigue and uh, uh, definitely will be some narcissism on parade, probably, with uh, with Napoleon. But uh, we shall see. It looks interesting. I wouldn't call it fun, but it looks like it's going to be a spectacle at the very least. So, yeah, I think this is, at least for me, a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Final trailer. Wonka is a prequel to Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I say that because the, the costuming is the same. So I assume it has to be a prequel, unless that's just nodding to it. At the very least, it's a prequel to the whole idea of the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in general. Uh, it stars Timothy Chalamet in the, in the uh, eponymous role. Uh, this is what Midsider Ed Joe said, next in the line of prequels nobody asked for. Don't think I've actually sat through the entirety of any Wonka movie. Tackle, but I'll watch it if my wife wants to see it for some reason. Well, Midsider Ed Joe, you need to see the original Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. No, sorry, is the original called Willy Wonka or Charlie? No, the original is called Willy Wonka. Is it Charlie or Willy? Yeah, who knows? I believe it's the book is Charlie and the 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 book book is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, correct? Yes. So the original movie is Willy Wonka and the Chaco Factory, which is why I believe this one's called Wonka. The point I'm making is that is one of the best movies ever made. You need to sit down and watch that. Anyone listening to this podcast who has not seen that movie, watch it. Now, as far as this movie, I think there's two things going on here. One, did you notice how William had said from the producers of Harry Potter? Yes. The way this 
set looks and the way the cinematography looks and the directing looks, it looks like they're trying to make Wonka into Harry Potter. And they're trying to make a Harry Potter-esque world and universe with this character and with this story. Now, there's two problems here, which is the second thing. One, Harry Potter is a terrible hero. I have talked about this before. He does nothing for most of the movies. All his friends are the ones who save him his and everything. His friends are the heroes, yeah. Snape right. is the hero of the movie, of the uh, books. Well, or Hermione. You could argue Hermione is as well. Either or. The point being, though, I think that's more of a collectivist approach, right? Where it's the idea of all the friends all save everything together. Uh, that's not the problem I'm getting at here, though. The point is, though, they have made Willy Wonka incredibly bland. And I don't know if that's why Timothy Chalamet is acting the way he's acting. But his performance as Wonka in this trailer is completely uninspired. He, Willy Wonka is supposed to be this eccentric genius. And he plays it completely uninterested. My wife watched the trailer and said, why is he apathetic? He's supposed to have all these big dreams and care, and he's just apathetic about everything. And then did you notice the small thing about the, the chocolate cartel? Remember what I was yeah. saying earlier in the episode yeah. about, oh, it's the corporations? For chocolate. <laughs> You're right. All the corporations are keeping us down. Well, the corporations are keeping Willy Wonka down. Even though Willy Wonka is essentially a robber baron of chocolate, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He steals it from across the world, right? He's culturally sure. appropriating. Right. But the point is, he's the one. He is a fictionalization of that kind of culture that was going on in the time. These leaders of industry who were building up these industries. That is who Willy Wonka was. He's that for the chocolate industry. He is that mythology. Ironically, he wasn't created by an American, right? I believe a British guy wrote the book. The point is, though, they are completely undermining that mythology with this performance. Like, the performance literally makes me angry. It literally makes me angry. Because when you look at Gene Wilder's performance and he goes to scratch that, reverse it, like there's such energy and such excitement and enjoyment and pleasure when he's saying it. Whereas, I don't know, it's the whole scene where he's like, up your ups and down your downs, like reverse that. Like, it's so rote. It's so mechanic. So here's the thing. William, I want you to play the angry hug. Because that's how I feel about this trailer, but I'm not going to lie. I love the original movie so much that I have to see this movie to see what they do with it, even though my expectations are in the tank. So I'm going to see this, but it's only because I have the AMC pass and I go and see a movie every week. But it's if I had to, like, if it was an issue of, like, where's my money going, I would just tackle this. So this is an angry tackle. Hug? Tackle. <laughs> so you get them both. Yes. <laughs> that is appropriately uh, how I feel about this. Uh, uninspiring is probably the best way to describe the acting, but just the plot that we are getting revealed in this trailer is also unnerving, right? Like, uh, it's. You said it undermines that the acting is undermining the mythology. I think the plot is actually going to, too, right? Uh, and 
without getting into all the details, like because there's very few, uh, I think this is just going to be. Uh, is the uh, the side character black chick going to be the one that actually comes up with the ideas or implements it? And you know, like the evil genius eccentric person who's made all these friends, you know, like the Oompa Loompas and all these other scientists and things like that. Like that's the that's the sort of uh mythology and i think we're just going to undermine that completely with this plot like where do we how do we get to what we've seen in this trailer to the the eccentric who's locked themselves in the chocolate factory right which is the beginning of 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 uh willy wonka and the chocolate factory right it would have to be a tragedy is what i'm trying to say and i don't think that's where they're going here so i don't know this just looks dumb tackle Tackle. All right, William, that brings us to the end of our trip. What did we learn this episode? I learned that it is a prerequisite to watch uh, Charlie in the Chocolate... Or, sorry, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory to watch, to listen to this podcast. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Uh, I learned many things about our current culture and how much the blending of collectivism and individualism are such a danger. We saw it with gender... Right with both transgender and romantic relationships, we saw it with business with Willy Wonka and Walt Disney. All right, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking in the corner of my closet like a crazy person. It still, is that I just feel a little bit less crazy. Uh, if you want to support us, you can go to midside.com/store, pick up any merch. Themidside.com/slash/the-cut, pick up my novel. You can go to midside.com slash Patreon, midside.com slash locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That is how we keep the lights on and the cat fed. And most important of all, the best way you can grow the show is to tell a female friend. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emozneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a Los Angeles free day. Wonder how the acoustics are going to sound at my new house. Stay tuned to next week to find out.